Welcome to the Money Morning Podcast. Today's guest is Adam Bacon of Ebony Energy, which has been recently acquired by Hexagon Energy. We talk all things hydrogen, and it's a really exciting chat if you're interested in disruptive energy technologies. Well, Adam, as I'm sure you're aware, governments around the world are starting to look very seriously at hydrogen energy, some even committing billions of dollars to developing hydrogen markets. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit more about what Ebony Energy is, what they do, and your relationship with Hexagon, and I guess sort of a brief overview of, uh, of your operations. So you're right. Hydrogen's been around a long time. It was actually discovered back in 1766 by Henry Cavendish. Um, Ebony not, hasn't quite been around that long, but we've been working on a project and a couple of concepts for a while. Um, back in 2019, with the release of Dr. Alan Finkel's National Hydrogen Strategy, the uh, Ebony Energy crew decided that we could actually take our resource and create clean hydrogen, called blue hydrogen, off our resource and uh, make it available for export markets or even domestically if needed. So uh, Ebony's been working in the background, I'd say for the best part of a year and a half to nearly two years, just trying to develop the concept. We're approaching a pre-feasibility phase right now, which is getting through the costing, finalizing the design approach before you go into a detailed design. The work we've done today actually takes us through, you know, are there any fatal flaws with the concept? And so we've, we've looked at the construction costs of the facility, the quality of our, our coal as a product, as a feedstock. We've looked at the pipeline capacity and, you know, what needs to be done in that space. We've looked at transportation to market. And we've also been talking to some potential off-takers as well as technology partners. So in that work, what we've, what we've concluded is there's no fatal flaws for our project, which is, uh, you know, then sets us up for moving to the um, pre-feasibility phase, which is what we've started now. So our relationship with uh, Hexagon started, I want to say about October last year, but don't hold me to that because I could be wrong by a month or so. Yeah. Basically in early conversations and, but, it got to the point where Hexagon liked our story, liked our project, that they decided to acquire the company. Uh, so that, that acquisition was finalized last week. So it was unconditional last week, which means that Hexagon is now the owner of Ebony Energy. And I think Hexagon is well, well positioned to take this project forward and develop it over the next four to five years. And I believe the project's based in the Northern Territory. It's uh, the Predica project, I believe. Padika Basin, yeah. So it's yeah. it is based in the Northern Territory. Many people ask, you know, why would you do a project like ours in the Northern Territory? It's such a remote location, difficult to get to. And the simple answer is, it is the best location for carbon sequestration in the country. So between the Cooper Basin and Armadillo Basins, there are reserves or reservoirs that are already depleted which actually are geologically suitable for carbon capture and storage. There are a few other onshore locations in the country that are as well suited as what um, the, the Cooper and Armadillo Basin reservoirs are. And the key there is it has to be depleted or aged reservoirs, right? So that's what makes the combination of our location with a, a train line through to an export um, port um, quite unique and 
aligns us well with being able to develop a, an export market, market for clean hydrogen. Okay, well, um, I believe you mentioned the current infrastructure in that area is underutilized, so there's capacity there to uh, take advantage of that. Yeah. What I'd really like to ask you about, Adam, is the difference between how hydrogen is produced now, brown or gray hydrogen, blue hydrogen, and green hydrogen. And I was sort of just wondering you could run us through the economics of the various types of hydrogen. Yeah, so look, 96% of the world's hydrogen is actually brown or grey hydrogen. That means it's it comes from a fossil fuel, um, doesn't have any carbon capture or storage, so it's a, it's a net emitter of, of CO2. Um, and it is used largely in um, industries such as ammonia, um, urea, sort of production of, of secondary products. Um, it's not a big source of energy at the moment. And that's the unique thing that's changing now with people investing in, in hydrogen is it will become a source of energy. Um, so the difference between gray and brown is, you know, it, it is a fossil fuel. Um, it is uh, CO2 emitting. Blue hydrogen takes similar fossil fuels, whether it be a gas product, so natural gas, coal, or some other fossil fuel. Uh, but what it does most importantly is it captures all the CO2 emissions from the process. And that means it's clean hydrogen. And that's a really important point for some of these emerging economies looking to ensure that they decarbonize. And green hydrogen is, is the ultimate clean hydrogen, which is it's, take, it's hydrogen generated through an electrolysis process to um, using water and electrolysis to create hydrogen. And then the hydrogen, hydrogen can be consumed as energy in some other location. The challenge that we have is historically um, brown, and, brown and gray prevail because of cost, right? It was cheaper. Blue is starting to become comparable, particularly in countries like the US where they've got the 45Q tax credits, where companies like CF Industries are already making it very clear to the market that they can actually create ammonia using blue hydrogen at the same cost they can create their traditional ammonia product, which is typically a, a gray hydrogen product so or a gray ammonia product so the economics with those tax credits is actually changing the the paradigm with regards to the cost of production of of blue hydrogen australia has a, as a similar mechanism although not as um not as endearing to development of co2 um, sequestration or carbon capture and storage solutions is what the US is, but I think that will change in time because Australia actually needs carbon capture and storage, particularly for its LNG industries, because the Japanese are already sending messages that they want clean LNG, and that's that's our largest export right now, right? Or behind yep. iron ore, sorry. Um, so clean LNG means that we're going to have to develop ways of managing carbon capture and storage and that will encourage the government to you know support those producers we know there's already a bill being proposed to be passed through government which will actually support in a similar way um, carbon capture and storage in the australian marketplace well that was my next question adam is sort of looking at the hydrogen market from a macro scale um, i'm aware saudi arabia is even starting to pour money into hydrogen initiatives 
I was wondering if you could just speak a bit about the Australian regulatory environment and then maybe which countries you think around the world are best placed to, I guess, capitalize on this emerging market. Yeah, so I think the important thing to understand with hydrogen, it's, it's going to be very similar to LNG, right? There'll be different economies developed in different regions and transportation is a key element of that. So how far you are from the end user is important. So Australia is actually really well positioned as a supplier to, to Asia where they don't have the resource. Countries like uh, Saudi Arabia, they will be the lowest marginal cost producers of, of blue hydrogen on the planet. Why? Because they're the lowest marginal cost producers of gas on the planet or oil and gas on the planet. So that, they will always be a low marginal cost producer. But as with every market, right, it, everyone trends to where the demand points are and what's the highest price point that fills that demand point. And then you also have to overlay that with transportation costs. Okay. So no different to the LNG industry, which Australia was developed very rapidly in the LNG space, really to serve the Asian market um, because of transportation costs. Um, we think the hydrogen industry will develop the same way. So you'll end up having a, a US market, a European market, an Asian market, and maybe an African market, depending on what happens there. But um, what we do see is those three different markets developing over time and Australia having a, a preeminent role in serving the Asian market. Um, now, we see it ha having that preeminent role firstly in blue hydrogen, but also if you look at, you know, some of the projects that are being proposed and we've got, you know, projects with hundreds of gigawatts of power being proposed for um, electrolysis in the, in the space of green hydrogen. Now that's, um, you know, that means that in time, as the economics of green hydrogen come down, and we do believe it, they will. So, you know, what we're not, we're not saying you're either blue hydrogen or you're green hydrogen. We think both need to coexist. What we do believe is that blue hydrogen will set the baseline for the hydrogen economy to develop. It will allow green hydrogen to develop in, in its cost base and its scale, because that's an, another important element. And then once they develop, they'll coexist at least through to 2050 is what our research is saying, which is a, you know, 30 odd years yeah. away. Yeah, um, it's a long time. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think from a regulatory perspective, to go back to your original question, from a regulatory perspective, the Australian government is very clear that it's not backing a, it, it, one or the other. It's backing both. It wants clean hydrogen. You know, organisations like the Australian Hydrogen Council are very clear. It's as long as it's clean hydrogen, it's good hydrogen, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's an important piece. There's regulatory changes being thought through now um, with regards to how do you manage hydrogen, the safety elements of hydrogen, the certification processes of hydrogen, the moving it into the pipelines, right? You wouldn't think that that's a big topic, but it is, right? Because some of the, or the Australian standard doesn't even contemplate hydrogen in a pipeline. So we actually specify what can be in the pipe, but the standard doesn't even contemplate hydrogen. So, you know, there's a bit that needs to happen at the regulatory level. I think 
there's a lot going on in that space. There's a lot of people advocating the right things, whether it be the big gen tailors like Origin Energy and AGL, or whether it be the pipeline companies like Gemina and um, APA and co. They're all assisting with trying to develop that economy for us. But um, at a, an Australian level, I think we've got a little way to go. Um, I do see states like South Australia being quite well advanced in their thinking. Uh, they're already making re- uh, legislative changes to support hydrogen under their Petroleum Act. So, you know, we're going the right way. We've got a little bit more to go. Okay, well, that's that's a very good overview for people because it's certainly a very complex and multifaceted uh, sort of problem that the, the world is trying to solve right now. So I think for my final question, Adam, I was just wondering if you could say a little bit about where you think Hexagon and Ebony will be in three to five years. And I guess I'm not asking for any wild predictions here, but where you think the, the hydrogen market will be in that sort of time frame. Yeah. So with regards to Ebony and Hexagon, Hexagon first, um, you've got to have a plan. So we're developing the plan right now. We've got a, a nine-month period for PFS, so pre-feasibility. We'll then go into detailed design. We hope, hope to be taking final investment decisions somewhere in 23, early 23, um, subject to government approvals. Um we think it'll have a, a three-year build cycle. So that takes us out to 26. So in three years' time, we should be building. And in five to six years' time, we hope to be producing. And that's the ultimate goal, right? It's um, being being able to produce and export primarily um, hydrogen. And I think the, the first application will be in long-haul transport or heavy transport. Then you'll start seeing shifts in other markets um, and that sort of answers the second part of your question, right, is where, where will we be selling our hydrogen to and how will the market evolve? It all works on price curves, right? So it's the economics of, a, of, a, of an alternate fuel that at what point does it start being displaced by the alternate? So the first one is diesel will start being displaced at about $3.50 a kilo for hydrogen. Um, and this is data that's sourced directly from uh, the Australian Hydrogen Strategy that was developed by Dr. Alan Finkel. So at about $3.50, you start displacing diesel and long-haul vehicles. Down at $2.50, motor vehicles start being capable of using hydrogen. Obviously, there's a supply chain that needs to support that. So the infrastructure to deliver hydrogen into you know, fuel cell motor vehicles is going to need to be developed. I see that starting to be developed now. You've got likes of BOC already investing in hydrogen refueling stations. Um, so, you know, in the next three to five years, you'll hear a, a lot of noise about green hydrogen. Um, you'll see the blue hydrogen projects start to progress. Um, the economics of green hydrogen won't be there in five years' time. You know, most right. people predict it will be somewhere in the 2030s. Some hope early 2030s, others are sort of forecasting mid 2030s. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's just going to take some time. It's no different to how renewables developed, right? Being XGE, you know, I saw the the levelized cost of energy of um, wind turbines come down threefold within a five year period, right? There's a tipping point where you start to actually evolve the technology to the point where it becomes dramatically more cost effective, and you deliver scale. Um, 
so in 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 five years time i hope we have australia's first export hydrogen export projects new hydrogen export projects and then it'll be the decade after that will be really interesting for the hydrogen economy that's uh that's that's an absolutely brilliant uh summary of i guess the opportunity there on a longer time frame and i think a lot of people are extremely excited about the potential of hydrogen it's regardless of ideology it, it ultimately just comes down to economics and um i think it's it's really interesting to see the power of this disruptive energy technology uh just not not just for now but 10 years into 10 20 years into the future yeah. so i think um I'd just say thank you so much for coming on, Adam, and chatting to me because it's uh, it's it's an exciting time to be an investor in hydrogen, and I think a lot of people on the ASX are aware of that. And uh, yeah, I just wish you all the best with your project now and into the, into the future. Thanks, Lachlan. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Well, that was a great chat with Adam Bacon of Ebony Energy. It covered a lot of ground, all about hydrogen, and if you're interested in this kind of thing. Be sure to subscribe and comment and get in touch. We'd love to hear from you.